Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the people who are making coastal Mississippi, and Mississippi for that matter, a better place to live work and play. It's Christmas week, so Merry Christmas to you. You know, I was uh, looking at some old quotes that I had gathered along the way, and uh, a couple kind of stuck out to me, and I wanted to share them with you this morning. One is by Nora Roberts, and here's what she said. Nothing ever seems too bad, too hard, or too sad when you've got a Christmas tree in the living room. Isn't that true? There's just there's something about this time of year. Uh, but I also kept this one, and I think this is pretty powerful, actually. And it's something that Benjamin Franklin observes and challenges us with. And he said this, a good conscience is a continual Christmas. Think about it. A good conscience is a continual Christmas. You know, I often say that in the holidays, that's that time between Thanksgiving and New Year's. It is an opportunity to take pause. It's an opportunity to reflect and, and take the time to think about the things that are around us that are really important to us. And what, what Benjamin Franklin is saying is that we should take the spirit of Christmas and our moments of positive reflection into the rest of the year. I mean, when I think about it, don't you think the world would be a better place if we all did that, if we all spent a little bit more thinking about that, uh, a little bit more time thinking about that? Um, I try to keep at the core of Kosu a strong underlying principle to always give thanks. I mean, that's really what this show is all about. It's about celebrating what I constantly refer to, as President Bush pointed out, the thousand points of light. Uh, These are the people who are working so hard not just in coastal Mississippi, but really across this great state, every single day trying to make life better for everybody. And um, and I appreciate you uh, joining with me. We have a growing audience here at 103.1, the evidence that people really want positive news. And I, you know, I, I ask you, uh, as I often do, but this is a good time to say, tell your friends about Coastview. Uh, like our Facebook page, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, go to your favorite podcast, and just do a search Coast View, V-U-E, incidentally, V-U-E. It means the visual perception of a region. I think it just kind of fits to this sort of coastal Mississippi uh, theme, this coastal Mississippi celebration that we're doing. And uh, it's a great time of year to reflect about that as well. Um, I have a very special guest today. I want to welcome my friend, the Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, back to Coast View. And first of all, say Merry Christmas. How you doing, my friend? Hey, Ricky. Merry Christmas to you and to your audience. I'm doing great. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show today. It's good. To, it's good to see you. We're gonna we're gonna cover the waterfront today. But I want to remind people that when you were, uh, when you became the 61st speaker on January the third, 2012, it was the first time in 136 years that a Republican had held that title. Um, and in addition to that, I should also point out that you've been in the House of Representatives since 2004. But you uh, you carry with that distinction a burden to want to really make a difference. And uh, you do that every single day, don't you? Absolutely. I, I, asked, uh, I was asked recently, in fact, this week by someone who was doing an interview, you know, why do you engage in public service and why should people engage in public service? And as I reflected upon that, part of my answer was that every one of us, whether you're an elected official or not, <clears throat> you want your life to count. You want, you want your life to matter. You want to look back at the end of your life and say, I, I accomplished something, I did something. And there's no higher calling 
than public service. There's no higher calling than serving your fellow man, reaching out. I mean, the Bible tells us to love God first and love your neighbor second. And as we all seek to do that, not just the elected officials, we all seek to make Mississippi better than we found it. We all seek to make our lives count for something. I told them, let's all be givers and not takers. And so it is very rewarding to be able to engage in public service where you can go out there and try to make a difference in the world and try to make Mississippi a better place. And I think that's the calling that every one of us have, not just those who are elected officials. So I guess uh, as we reflect upon that, there's also a challenge tied up into that. Let's all strive to serve our fellow man and make this world a better place. Well, we'll talk in a minute uh, in a minute about the the efforts that you have undertaken, so, so many of them actually have resulted in bipartisan support, which is kind of rare in this political environment that we're in. I know that there's still division. I know that there's still polarization. There's really no way around that. Uh, social media certainly doesn't help that. But we'll come back to that in just a second and talk about how you try to bridge the gap to, to bring people together. So, But I, I wanted to mention to you, I've spent a lot of time this time of year in uh, at my place in the Mississippi Delta. And I'm really honored to have the opportunity to uh, to host Super Talk Outdoors across the network. And I'm reminded when I talk to people like Will and Jimmy Primos and Brad Ferris of, uh, of course, Primos Truth About Hunting and Delta Hunting Outfitter Chuck Cage in the Delta, Russell Ramsey, who's who's a big time duck hunter, 106 six continents, and he's you know from from the Mississippi Delta, Toxie Hayes and 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 uh, Cuz Strickland of Mossy Oaks, the Swamp Witches people who work at the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and how dedicated they are. But at the core of Mississippi, and, you know, I say I bring this up now because in the holiday seasons is when the hunting season kind of really plays out, and that heritage that's so part of who we are plays out. In all of those conversations, you get a great sense of how connected we are to the outdoors in this state. And you see it, you see it every day in what you do, don't you? Absolutely. And I love the outdoors. My father was a, a big hunter, taught me to be a big hunter. He loved quail hunt, and that's what I grew up doing. And unfortunately, you can't find those quail anymore. But I have transferred that same love of the outdoors to my three sons. And in fact, I told my wife the other day, I, I think I've created three monsters because all they do is want to hunt and fish and be, be outside. And it's an integral part of who we are as Mississippians. I think there's a, a natural calling to enjoy the outdoors. Look at any any kid. I've got two grandsons. All they want to do is go outside. Every time they come over, let's go outside. Let's do something outside. There's a natural urge within all of us to enjoy the outdoors. I think it causes us to reflect upon our mortality and uh, realize that there's uh, a, a God bigger than us out there. And a man who, a God who created all of that and who gives us life and breath and everything that we enjoy comes from the almighty creator and uh, the outdoors helps affirm that the bible even tells us that that the stars and the heavens and the universe and everything declare the glory of god and so i think that's one reason we all have that natural longing to go outside and, and enjoy the outdoors well, Will Primos talks about that poetically. You know, when he, he talks about getting out and and get being quiet, and it's almost as if he's in a prayer when he's in the outdoors. And the, obviously, he gives thanks to the, his Creator and talks really eloquently about that. But when, you know, speak, thinking of people like uh, 
Jimmy Primos and and Will Primos, and then of course, as I mentioned, Toxing Hayes and, and Cut Strickland from Mossy Oaks. They're, these guys are outdoor ambassadors, not just in Mississippi, but to the rest of the world. I mean, here you have these incredible companies that have contributed to, to the love of the outdoors in so many different ways. I, I like to say on my show, incidentally, that, that Mississippi is the capital of the outdoors because if you think about the this, this saltwater fishing off our coast and the backwater fishing and then the, you know, the Mississippi Delta and the hills of northeast Mississippi and everything in between – where is there a more diverse opportunity to enjoy the outdoors than in Mississippi? Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And it is a big part of our economy, in fact. Other people in the world recognize that. And they come to Mississippi often to engage in fishing and hunting and the other things that you mentioned. And we're very privileged to be able to, to be uh, citizens of a state where that is so vital. Now, coastal Mississippians may not know this next thing I want to kind of bring up here, um, but uh, I was I was at uh, my place and we were just in in the midst of of planting food plots. And one of the guys who delivered some seeds to us mentioned, "Have you heard the news?" And I said, "No, I wasn't really familiar with what he was talking about." And he said. Express Grain and Greenwood had filed bankruptcy. Now, for coastal Mississippians, this is really important. And I'll, maybe you, should, you can talk to the significance of this, but the, but the, the grain bins are where the farmers bring all of their crops. First corn, and then after that, the soybeans in this particular case. And, um, and so, you know, they, they sign, you know, in most cases, futures agreements where they, the price is set. This year, they had a really good year. And over 300 farmers are caught up in this bankruptcy now, uh, over $100 million, at least based on the current estimates. There are, I mean, the thought of what impact this could have on the small towns that are around that area of the Delta, it's pretty devastating to hear this news, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, I don't know how familiar you are, your listeners are with that situation, but uh, the Express Grains is a facility in uh, I think it's Greenwood, Mississippi, that enters into contracts with farmers for the delivery of grain, wheat, soybeans, corn, the other things that you mentioned. And the contracts, I have read one of the contracts, and it basically just says the, the farmer promises to deliver a certain amount of grain in exchange for a certain uh, payment. And so the uh, farmers all across Mississippi have entered into a contract with that facility. Unfortunately, Express Grains uh, has filed bankruptcy, and that has left so many of the farmers without payment. After they have delivered up those grains, they're now uh, not getting paid. And so that has created a shockwave in the farming community and all across the state. The economic impact of that could be devastating. We can talk more in, in greater detail about that if you'd like, but that's kind of an overview of what the situation is. And we have many farmers who are left without payment. I'm aware of one individual that's owed $2.5 million. It's just hard we'll to come, absorb that. We'll come back to this on the other side. See you after this break. Okay. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Kosio. Have the Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, with us today, and we're just we're going to we're going to talk about a bunch of different things. But just before we went to break, we were talking about this important lawsuit that is now underway. Actually, a couple of different ones. But at, at the end of the day, what has happened is an express grain, a really important grain bin in Greenwood has filed bankruptcy, and a lot of Delta farmers are hurting during the holidays. That's the whole reason for bringing this up. It, it should matter to coastal Mississippians because uh, at the end of the day, the farming community in Mississippi is an over $7 billion industry. And at the backbone of this state is that we must have a strong farming community. And, uh, you know, I would say keep those farmers who literally have their lifeblood uh, in their and their crops each year, and the fact that they may not get paid anytime soon is is really a disaster for them. And so keep them in your prayers. Any final thought on that, Speaker? No, but I think you summed it up well. The, the, the farming community is integral to the state, just like the gaming industry is integral to the state. The coast people are very familiar with that, but the farming community is huge. And in this particular case, the farmers are owed a total of about $43 million. Uh, very few farmers can absorb that kind of loss and continue to to make it. So uh, this is a big deal. It's a big deal for the state. Uh, we hope that that will result in the farmers getting paid somehow, but the case is in bankruptcy right now, and we'll just have to see where that goes. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about several issues, but before we do that, I thought I'd circle back to something I mentioned at the very beginning, and that is we live in a polarized world. You're either a Republican or a Democrat, but most people are somewhere in the middle. You and I have talked about that before. Uh, most people are in somewhere in the middle, and, and I know it can be very, very difficult to be on one side versus the other when you're a leader because you, you really do want to bring people together, and you do want to find consensus, and you do want to try to do what's best for the, for the, for the total population. How do you approach that? How do you, I, I, what I would know from our past conversations is that, first of all, you, you work hard to do your homework. You surround yourself with a lot of people who are helping to inform you. And then you vote your conviction. And when you do, you, you sleep well at night and whatever. But you're still focused on trying to bring people together. It's harder to do that in this current political environment, isn't it? Well, it is, and it gets increasingly harder, and um, I think one of the ways that we try to, to take that challenge on in the House is that we work very hard to establish relationships. I think uh, so many times we demonize people we don't agree with, and I try to remind people all the time, heck, you don't agree with your spouse all the time. You don't agree children all the time. Heck, Ricky, you and I don't agree on all the issues, but you don't fall out over it. You, you just agree to disagree or you try to work your way through it and, and come to an agreement of some sort. But just because we don't agree on everything doesn't mean we have to demonize the other person or, or fall out with them. And I think one of the things that, that we work hard to do in the House of Representatives is to work on relationships uh, outside of the political world, just gaining the trust and, and, and letting people get to know who you are, learning who they are, and realize that uh, just because we disagree doesn't mean that they are evil in some sort uh, of way. And I think if you build strong relationships, you can weather those disagreements. You're not always going to come together on them, but you know that the other person is not operating in a way to hurt you or to to hurt uh, the state they just have a different conviction and i think if you can establish that relationship and that level of trust 
then you can weather those disagreements. And I think we, we can use our spouses as an example. We all disagree with our spouses from time to time, but we don't believe that they are out to get us or hurt us or anything like that. At least we shouldn't. So a lot of people are conditioned by what they see happening on the national stage where, I mean, it's usually, with some very few exceptions, it's usually Democrats versus Republicans. But in your case, I could cite, for example, on one end of the continuum, something like the Stewardship Trust Fund, the Conservation Trust Fund that, that made it through the House 117 to 2 as an example of your ability to bring everybody together. But even, okay, I can, I can see how you might be able to do that around something like that. But then on the, uh, the state income tax, the, the personal income tax, eliminating that, you were able to get Democrats on your side on that one. So, I mean, that would have that would, if there were ever going to be a bill that would potentially polarize us, that would have been the one. But it, but that's not what happened in the House. So, how did you accomplish getting? I think sixteen votes. Is that right? Did I remember that correctly? Yeah. I think we had sixteen Democrats. We had seventy-five Republicans, and all but one voted for the bill. And then we had another sixteen Democrats. I think that joined us. We had ninety or ninety-two votes. For, for that bill. I think part of the reason was because there were, we were able to sit down and talk and explain the bill and people recognized, first of all, it's good for Mississippi. It is a good thing to put money back into the pockets of our citizens. They have a better ability to provide for their families, better ability to take care of their children, put more food on the table, give more to their communities, give more to their church. There's no downside to putting money back into the pockets of the people, letting them keep more of their hard-earned money. I think everybody recognized that. Secondly, uh, we put things in there that the Democrats felt were beneficial to those that they think vote for them. Things like cutting the grocery tax in half, which benefits everybody. And so, uh, again, it, it was a result of sitting down, having conversation, patiently walking through the bill, explaining and uh, concern, explaining the, the bill and answering questions and concerns and getting a level of comfort that this is a good thing and we need to go forward with it. So that's how we were able to get it through. I still think it's good policy. I think uh, we've had nine months now to, to look at it and people have examined the bill and everybody who sits down and gives it a fair chance recognizes it's good policy. And uh, we are now trying to work with the Senate to make that happen. Well, it's interesting. I went back. Uh, well, first of all, I paid close attention to your appearances on Gallo, and uh, but I did go back and look at other podcasts that you were part of, and and try to get a sense of the way you were explaining it in the beginning and the way that you've explained it more recently. And uh, what I was, what I would, what I would observe about that is that. It's hard to explain to start out with. Once you, at, at, a, at a macro level, when you start talking about the, the benefits to economic development, to what it means to people when they have the money in their pocket instead of giving it back to the government, how, how, the, how the sales tax offsets it, at that level, you can get your head around it. But then you start looking, as you've pointed out in so many of the podcasts and so many of your appearances on Supertalk, that the devil is always in the details. And you have had... So many different organizations, whether it be universities, uh, whether it be Ole Miss or whether it be the state revenue offices, whether it be think tanks, whatever, you've had so many different looks at this, so many different analysis of this. 
And they all conclude the same thing, that this, this would be good for Mississippi. But it's still been difficult to describe. But what I will observe, though, too, is that it's gotten a little bit easier to talk about these days than it was back then. Why do you think, do you, do you sense that the tide is beginning to change around this and that there's real opportunity now to get this done? Well, there's tremendous opportunity to get it done. I think now is the best time we will ever have. Do we have an opportunity of a lifetime? And the reason I say that is, uh, kind of as a side note, this week we had our joint legislative budget committee hearing where we adopted the the budget for this, or the recommendation, I should say, for this upcoming year. At that hearing, we received a report from the um, state economist uh, and the legislative budget office, and we have more revenues now than we've ever had in the history of the state. We have $1.5 billion over and above what we are currently using to fund government. Uh, if there was ever an opportunity to give money back to the citizens, to the taxpayers, now is it. And so we've got a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take advantage of this. And that was an appeal I made to the members of that committee, which are House and Senate members, and an appeal I made to both chambers of the legislature is, let's don't blow this. We have more money uh, than we are currently using to fund government, let's give some of it back to the taxpayers. And we can do that by eliminating the income tax. We have a plan. It's been put out there. It's been vetted. It's been analyzed. As you rightly point out, uh, we had hearings this summer. Had seven organizations come and testify that this plan works, that it would help Mississippi. We had one witness to the contrary. I mean, as an attorney, I always look at the weight of the evidence. I'm going to trial. I got a jury. I got to put the case out there. Jurors are challenged to look at the weight of the evidence. Jurors are asked to set aside their biases, their preconceived ideas, their opinions, and operate based on the facts. And the simple facts are we had seven organizations come and testify that this plan works. It would result in a $371 million increase and our state's wealth every year. That's $371 million more million of goods and services that will be sold in the state of Mississippi. That's money, $371 million more million that people have to, as I said earlier, raise their families, improve their quality of life, that sort of thing. So there was no downside uh, in those hearings to eliminating the income tax. We had the National Taxpayers Union, the Tax Foundation, two economists from Ole Miss, Grover Norquist, who is the leading tax expert in the country, flew all the way to Jackson, Mississippi, just to testify at the hearing because he feels so passionately about it. We had uh, the Mississippi Center for Public Policy and Empower Mississippi, the seven witnesses who all came and said, this plan works, it needs to be passed. We had one... Well Witness on the contrary from a liberal outfit called One Voice who said we needed to increase taxes and redistribute the wealth. That is we're not the, that is not where we are as Republicans in this state. We're the Speaker of the House. We'll be back after this break. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. 
Welcome back to Coast View. We have uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives for the state of Mississippi, uh, Philip Gunn, with us today. And we're just talking about a number of, of issues. But it, it's interesting the way I started to talk about the elimination of the personal income tax in Mississippi was to say that you actually were able to get uh, uh, Democratic votes for for that bill. It came out of the House. Went to the went to the Senate. It didn't. It died. But unfortunately, or or fortunately, it, there's been renewed conversations about it. Governments. I mean, excuse me. The governors now weighed in on it. But I I, I want to let's take a quick step back for a second and stay focused on sort of the macro reasons for doing this. The one thing that that I have had the an opportunity to learn more about as I have uh, studied, you know, just got up to speed on the status of Mississippi as it relates to how we rank and what our challenges are, et cetera. I know you think about these things all the time. It takes a series of things. It's going to take a series of bold moves to get Mississippi to get from off the bottom to somewhere that's more acceptable. We want to improve the quality of life. We want to stop brain drain. We, our young people too often have to leave Mississippi in order to achieve the, the career aspirations they have. They can't stay here. We want retirees to choose to come here. Military community, because of the military setup here in Mississippi, military community does a good job of retiring to Mississippi, but generally we want people, we want people who are not in the military to choose Mississippi as a place to retire. And, and, the, and the list goes on, but probably none are more important than the economic development world, whether it be whether it be uh, attracting business here or whether it, it be a, a, attracting a remote workers who can live here. Because if there's ever been a, a, a more pr profound learning, it is that Mississippi can really advance itself if we can attract technology jobs here, uh, pe people who want to live, work, and play here, but think they can work for a company in New York or California, but live here and work remotely. Um, we have got to get focused on the big items that's going to change that. And of course, you have maintained that eliminate the personal sales, uh, excuse me, the personal income tax can do that. Because if you look at Nashville and you look over in Texas, especially places like Austin, and you look over in Florida, um, I mean, we're at a competitive disadvantage right now, and we've got to fix that. Um, it, how do we do that if we don't make big, bold moves? Well, I agree with you. That's exactly right, and you've stated it well. There are two thoughts that come to mind. First, as it pertains to the personal income tax. Many of our citizens, well, we're all aware that we took the census last year. 2020, we do the census every 10 years. Last year was a decennial year, so we did the census. We've seen the numbers that have come back from across the country. <clears throat> the two states that had the highest increase in population, Florida and Texas. One of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing city in America is Nashville, Tennessee. What do those three states have in common? None of them have a personal income tax. Now, I'm not saying if we get rid of the personal income tax, we're fixed to become Texas or Florida. You know, we don't have Disney World and we don't have the Dallas Cowboys and we don't have Nashville, Tennessee. But it is an objection, an obstacle to people coming to Mississippi. And I will tell you, the state of Arkansas last week passed a bill to phase out their income tax. Arizona is doing the same thing. North Carolina has already passed a bill. New Hampshire has passed a bill. Every day we wait, we're falling behind. We're losing a competitive edge that we would otherwise have. And you talked about a brain drain, our young people. You know, one of the proposals that's been put out there and as a, as a counter 
or an alternative to our proposal is to just phase out the income tax through growth over a period of time. Well, we've done the numbers on that. If we just phase it out through growth, assuming a 3% growth, it takes 30 years to get there. If you have a 2.5% growth, it takes till 2085. We'll all be dead. There's not a young person out there graduating from college who says, hey, I think I'm going to move to Mississippi because 30 years from now, they're not going to have an income tax. The time is now. We have got to get rid of the income tax as quickly as we can, as responsibly as we can, so that the retirees and the young people will come to our state. Speaking of the retirees, uh, no income tax in Florida and Texas is not stopping the retirees from going there. They're flocking there in droves. So there is no downside to us eliminating the income tax. It is something we need to do quickly. It is something we need to do responsibly. The plan that we put forward does that. In fact, it is a tax cut. This is important because there are some of those who have opposed our plan are trying to couch it as a tax increase because we offset the revenue by raising the sales tax. It is not a tax increase. Grover Norquist, who is the leading expert on taxes in this country, flew to Jackson, Mississippi to testify at our hearing. He's done the math. This results in a $740 million tax cut for the citizens of the state. In other words, we will be providing the same level of service. We'll just be doing it $740 million cheaper. So you and I could spend an entire show on this, Ricky, and I, and I, and I, and I won't take up the time on it, but I'm asking people to give this a fair chance. Do not jump to conclusions and do not be misled by those who want to say, oh, this is a tax increase or that it's going to hurt the retirees or that we just need to do it through growth. Those are misleading statements, intentionally misleading statements that are designed to scare people out of doing this. And we need to do it as quickly as possible, as responsibly as possible. The second point I would make in response to what you just said is that we got to have jobs for people. And we have made an enormous focus on job creation and, and workforce development in the House of Representatives. We have passed a couple of bills the last two years on workforce. Unfortunately, the governor vetoed it the first year and last year the Senate bring it out. But we've, we have, we have, I met with a guy, I don't know, back this summer, I guess. He was from, he was a national lobbyist for the American Equipment Manufacturers. And he came to my office for a, for a meeting. And I asked him, I said, what is the number one thing his job, by the way, was to, to search the country over and place companies where uh, was best for his organization. I said, what do you look for? When you go to a state, what are some of the things that you look for to uh, when you decide on where to put a company? Number one issue, workforce. you got to have an educated, reliable, trained workforce. And if you don't, you don't even get on the on the on the radar screen for them. Secondly, was infrastructure. You got to be able to provide roads and bridges and get uh, water and, and and electricity and all the things that, that that go along with building a company. So those are the two of the things that I think we need to be focused on. We have been focused on those in the House. We brought forward numerous bills to increase our workforce development, workforce training, um, and we are focused on infrastructure. So. I think that your point is well taken. Those are the things that I think put us at a competitive, on a competitive edge. Uh, one final story, and then, then I'll, I'll uh, turn it back over to you. But going back to the income tax, I talked to an economic developer in this state who was in the process of trying to recruit a company to Mississippi. He told me, he said, the CEO of this company makes about a million dollars a year. 
If he comes to Mississippi, he's got to pay income tax on that. If he goes, and this was in North Mississippi, and this economic developer said, if he goes 90 miles north of here into Tennessee, he gets to keep it all. So he said, I might not only lose that guy, I may lose all the jobs he brings with him, with his company. So that's, that's a sobering thought to think about, that we are losing our competitive edge. Every day we don't eliminate the income tax, and every day we don't focus on workforce development, we're falling behind. I think those are two of the most important things we could do uh, in this legislative session. So, again, it, whether you're talking about infrastructure, which obviously is a huge issue in the state, or whether we're talking about elimination of the personal sales tax, these are big, bold moves. But another big, bold move that was already taken was in 2018, which was to allow the EPAs to get involved in broadband expansion. And then with obviously CARES Act and Rescue and other funds coming to the state, we're currently investing more money in broadband access in this state than we have ever thought ever thought we would be able to, to invest. And what it means is, what I, what I noticed near my place in the Delta, I'm seeing a beehive of trucks laying fiber optics in places you would have never expected to see that before. The, the fact that... The fact that so many areas of rural Mississippi do not have high-speed broadband or internet access, it stops us in so many different ways, whether it be healthcare or education, the ability to work remotely. We know all these things already. But this is one of the most transformative things we have ever done in this state, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I was reflecting uh, – one of my children had a birthday recently. They turned 30. And I was thinking back to 30 years ago when they were born. And I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't even know what one was, you know. And the first one I got was one of those old bag phones. <laughs> and and uh, it was viewed as a luxury back then, so to speak. But this pandemic has exposed, I think, just how critical broadband service has become. And you go back to the 1930s, the early 1900s, when electricity was kind of viewed as uh, a luxury. Only the wealthy had it, and then people who couldn't afford it didn't have it. But at some point in time, it was determined that it was a quality of life issue, that electricity was a public health issue, that it was a good thing. And that's when the EPAs all developed and they worked to get people uh, electricity. Well, the pandemic has kind of exposed the fact that a lot of people were forced to go home and work from home. School children were forced to go home and work from, from home. And many of places around this state just don't have that capability. And it becomes an economic development thing. To go back to what we talked about a minute ago with, with companies coming to Mississippi, they look for infrastructure. Part of that infrastructure is not just roads and bridges and electricity. It's broadband. There are places in this state that will not be able to attract jobs and industry if they cannot have broadband capabilities. The, the, the this is the Speaker of the House, Sorry? Philip Gunn. This is the Philip. This is Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. We'll see you after this break.
can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have the Speaker of the House of Representatives for the state of Mississippi, Philip Gunn. And we're reflecting on successes and opportunities that, that came out of the last legislative session that will evolve into the next legislative session. And what, what, what I want to do now is talk a, essentially more of a rapid-fire scenario. Um, We'll start with the ballot initiative. The Supreme Court ruling on May 14, 2021, set us back as it relates to that. Do you think this is going to get fixed anytime soon? Oh, absolutely. It is our intention to fix it. Uh, most citizens are aware of what that is. Many states, if not most states, have a, have a, a mechanism, we call it initiative, where the citizens can put public policy issues before the public for a vote. They do this through collecting signatures. Uh, the, the most recent one that, that's the subject of that lawsuit was Initiative 65, which was the medical marijuana initiative. But there have been others, the voter ID and uh, Initiative 42 uh, years ago and the personhood amendment and so on and so forth, where the citizens collect signatures and get enough signatures they can put it before the public for a vote. The Supreme Court ruling ruled that the way that it has been done was uh, invalid. And so now it falls to the legislature to re-implement or reinstitute that process. We have every intention of doing that. I will make one clarification. The previous initiative process put whatever was passed by the citizens into the Constitution. I think we will make a, a change to that and put it into just the statutes. In other words, it would just be a law like the legislature passes. And that gives flexibility to adjust as you need to when sometimes things don't work out like you think they they uh, appear to be on the beginning so we have every intention of moving forward with that this session so in the state we have a nursing shortage that, i mean we have we have like healthcare worker shortage all across the states but you would think that this was just uh rural hospitals but it's not it's some of the biggest hospitals in the state are having challenges it what do you think about using some of the 1.8 billion dollars as a way of of incenting nurses and other medical professionals to stay in Mississippi and not leave for other states where they can make a hell of a lot more money? Well, we've already proposed that. And, and I think you and I talked about that the last time I was on your show. But I, as you and I have discussed, I came to the coast oh, back there in August, I guess, when the, 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 the pandemic was at its peak and met with many of your hospital administrators, one of whom, Lee Bond over in Singing River, uh, gave me a proposal that we find a way to allow hospitals and nursing homes and EMTs to enter into agreements with nurses to retain them. We were running short of health care. We just, our citizens were, were not getting the health care that they needed. And uh, the hospitals were struggling to retain those health care workers. So we have actually proposed and drafted a bill that will allow uh, a portion of that $1.8 billion to be used going to the Department of Health then disseminated to the hospitals and allow them to enter into contracts with healthcare workers to say, you agree to stay here and provide healthcare to the citizens of Mississippi for a period of time. And in exchange, we're going to pay you whatever they can negotiate. So we, we, uh, we recognize that. We plan to try to do that again. 
One of the things they're concerned about, I think, is that uh, they proposed two years. I think maybe the current legislation or uh, one iteration said they'd have to stay for five years, which they say is pretty unrealistic. And uh, and that what's happened is what 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 they were proposing is something in the range of twenty thousand dollars per nurse. But what what's come out of that is about five hundred dollars. They're concerned that that's not going to be enough to get to solve the problem. You can look more into that, and hopefully, you know, eventually we can we can come back around and do something that's going to really ultimately save healthcare in this state. And who knows, the next the next uh, mutation of COVID might be might be a bad one again, so we just have to be ready for it. Last but not least, I just want to mention the Stewardship Trust Fund, the Conservation Trust Fund that passed the, the House 117 to 2. You have every intention of, of uh, reintroducing that, and hopefully we can get it done this time. Well, absolutely, and this kind of goes back to the beginning of the show where we talked about our love of outdoors and how fortunate we are to live in a state where that is the case. This, the Stewardship Trust Fund uh, is, is a proposal that we would take a portion of the sales tax revenue off of sporting goods, outdoor equipment, kayaks, guns, bows and arrows, whatever. People who buy sporting goods and buy sporting equipment, a portion of that would be uh, delivered to the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries uh, for the purposes of advancing outdoor activities and uh, stewardship in Mississippi. We did pass that bill 117 to two or 170 to nothing. It was overwhelming. Unfortunately, went to the Senate and did not make it out of committee. We have every intention of bringing that bill back again. It helps. It's a great way to preserve and advance the outdoor activities in our state. A lot of other states do that. We need to do it as well. Well, a lot, just a, a quick example as we kind of wind this down, but I'll be talking more about this on Coastview and Super Talk Outdoors. But for example, States like Georgia were able to leverage $20 million into $100 million because so much federal money is available, particularly in the farm bill. Farm bill, ton, billions of dollars available for us to seek matching funds. There's a lot more we can talk about. But listen, this has been sort of a, a really, really good review of what's on your mind these days, a conversation around the big changes, the really bold changes that can be made in the state to make us more competitive. None of us want Mississippi to be at the bottom. We want to get off the bottom and moving forward, economic development, job creation, education. These are all things that are going to help us do that. Anyway, Merry Christmas to you and your family. I hope you have a great holiday, my friend. Well, Ricky, it's great to be on your show again. I always appreciate the opportunity, and it's wonderful to talk about these issues. And I wish all your uh, listeners a very Merry Christmas as well. Today is actually my 35th wedding anniversary, so I'm going to take the day and uh, celebrate with my wife. So, I'm, uh, but I, Good for I you. felt like I needed to take some time with you, too. So thank you for letting me <laughs> Good. Absolutely. We'll see you after the first of the year. Have a great day, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.